Would you take your Bibles and turn to the book of Malachi? We're going to be finishing our study uh, in the Old Testament in these prophetic books today. And then uh, next Sunday as we start a new year, I'm going to be doing a short four-week series that relates to our mission, vision, values, where we are as a church, and what God has called all of us to do. So we're going to finish up, as I said, in Malachi. And I'd like to read for us uh, chapter 3, verse 13 through the end of the book. Listen to what God says. You have said harsh things against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said it is futile to serve God. What did we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed, and certainly the evildoers prosper, and even those who challenge God escape. And then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty. In the day when I make up my treasured possession, I will spare them just as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Surely the day is coming and it will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. Then you will trample down the wicked and they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I do these things, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. Let's pray. Father, help us today to hear your word, to hear not only how it applied in that setting in which Malachi lived, but also to us today. To hear what it is that you want us to do and respond according to you and your word. And Father, I thank you for how your messages are just so appropriate. Uh, We've had a good study in Malachi these last few weeks, and I pray that you would use your word once again in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the start of a new school year can be a significant adjustment for a family. I've been talking to some of you this week as you think about your kids going off to school or going off to college. Some have left already, some have started school already. But there are times when there can be tears associated with that for some of the moms and maybe the dads too. Uh, Some of you are sending your uh, oldest off to school for the very first time and you're kind of wondering, you know, what that's going to be like and how are they going to do and will they make friends, will they like their teacher in class and will they be okay? 
And others are maybe sending off your son or daughter to college. Maybe it's your youngest and now you're entering this new stage of life called the empty nest and you're just wondering, you know, what this is going to be like for you. And uh, we had somebody ask us that question recently and we said, well, you'll kind of grieve for a few days and then I think you'll really like it. Uh, there, there are changes that go with that that can be really good as well. But I understand the sadness too. You know, for years you've tried to get your kids to keep their room neat or to make their bed and do all of that. And now you look into that room and the bed's always made and the room's always neat. And it's different. It's different when they come home again too. So I know that there are adjustments. And when you think about that, what goes through your mind? And what words would you like to pass on to your son or daughter that you would want them to remember? Yeah, I can still see my dad standing on the steps of our home when I went off to college, quoting Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Rick, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust him. You know, don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. Those were good words as I was leaving home wondering what I was going to do with my life. Or I think of how when our sons, we had three sons, and when they were, um, you know, going off to school for the first time, we always prayed with them every morning, and we would have them memorize scripture, and one of the verses that we wanted them to memorize was Isaiah 41.10. And Isaiah 41.10 says, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, surely I will help you. And surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God is with you. Don't be afraid. He's there to help you each step of the way. Well, today we're going to look at these last words from the Old Testament. That's significant. We're coming to the end of an era. And at that time, they did not know that these would be the last words that would be spoken for over 400 years. It wasn't that God wasn't at work or doing anything, but we enter this period of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament, 400 years. And what is it that God is saying and what is he setting up? Well, he is talking about this forerunner who's going to come before the Messiah comes, before God will send his son. And we've seen how in God's framework, his timetable's not ours. He can say that, you know, I'm going to do this suddenly. It's near, it's at hand, and yet there's 400 years. But we see in Scripture how to the Lord, you know, a thousand years is like one day, and a day is like a thousand years. Time's not the same to him as it is to us. And there's a weight to what was said as these words are read and as the old covenant comes to an end. So what is it that God wants us to remember? Well, I believe that there are three things that he wants us to remember as we come to the end of this book. Number one, he wants us to remember the distinction that God makes between the righteous and the wicked. Remember the distinction God makes between the righteous and the wicked. We have seen throughout this uh, book that Malachi wrote seven times uh, he has dealt with objections that the people have raised against God. This is the last one. And uh, the Lord speaks to him, and he's been listening to them, and he said that you have said harsh things against me. 
You've not spoken well of me, of my character, of my work. And they kind of defend themselves again and they go, you know, like, what? They've done this before? Who, me? I mean, what do we say, you know? And they want to kind of backpedal and we haven't been saying these things. And God calls them out. And he says, you have been saying that it is futile to serve God. That it does not profit. That word futile means it's vain, it's empty, it doesn't profit at all. You know, what have we gained by going about like mourners? What have we gained by trying to follow the old covenants and all of these regulations? It hasn't profited us anything. And they were angry at God. They were disappointed in the way that he had worked in their life. And they were speaking out against him. And they were saying things like this. Like, you know, when we look around, the arrogant are blessed. Evildoers prosper. Even those who challenge God escape, and God does nothing. And they were upset. And you can hear it in the language that they use. And I can tell you that sometimes it can seem like that in the short run. It can seem like the enemies of God are winning. You know, this week I got an email from a friend who... uh, trains pastors overseas, and he's been in Niger in Africa. And he was there at a conference with 200 evangelical pastors that came together, the largest evangelical conference for pastors that they've ever had in that country. Niger is a country of 18 million people, predominantly Muslim. Uh, Christians, evangelical Christians, are less than 1% of the population. And he found out at that conference that in January of this year, on January 19th and 20th, Islamic extremists went out and on one day they burned 60 churches, destroyed them. And on the next day they went out and they burned 10 more churches. 70 churches burned to the ground, Christians suffering from persecution. Well, All of those pastors that lost churches were at this conference. And their hard attitude was just like in the book of Acts. They were filled with joy. They considered it a privilege that they had been given this grace to suffer for the name of Christ. I mean, it was just amazing. And they shared how their churches had even grown as a result of what had happened. That others in the community who saw this, uh, many were appalled by what had happened as well. And they wondered why and what is this that's going on. And so here were these men full of joy, full of grace, full of gratitude to God. And they asked for prayers, for boldness, and for open doors for the gospel. Uh, You could look at that on the one side and it feels like, you know, God, why do you allow this? I mean, it seems like your enemies are winning. They are killing Christians. They are destroying churches. They are putting Christians to death or forcing them to convert in order to save their lives. And yet, on the other hand, we see a God who is at work refining his people, bringing new people into a relationship with himself and bringing honor and glory to his name. In the short run, it can look like the enemies of God are winning. But look at verse 16 in this passage in chapter 3. 
Something significant happened as a result of Malachi's ministry. It says, then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. They got together and they said, what do you think? I think Malachi's right. I think that what he is saying is absolutely true and that we need to stand up. God is at work. Yeah, life may be hard, it may be tough at times, but God is at work. And no matter what happens in terms of our circumstances, we are going to follow the Lord. And they got together. I mean, I love this passage. I love when we see this in Scripture where people got together, they encouraged one another, and they said, we are going to do this. With courage and resolve, they chose to fear the Lord and to listen to him. And God heard their prayers. And it says, and a scroll of remembrance was written in God's presence. That's just an amazing thing. A scroll of remembrance. The words it's used here really describes, it's kind of like what the Persian kings would do whenever they wanted to honor someone who had done something significant for their kingdom. They would write down their deeds in a book. It's like what happened with Mordecai in the story of Esther where the king was reading and he found out, you know, these deeds that Mordecai had done. And he said, what's been done to honor him? And found out nothing had been done yet. And so he comes and he uh, asks Haman, you know, what do you think should be done for the man who honors the king? And he ends up having Mordecai ride through the city with the royal robes on him. And he is honored for the deeds that he has done. God says there's a scroll of remembrance in which the acts of the righteous are recorded. And one day God will honor those, will honor you for the service you have done. That's amazing. We also learn in Scripture that this idea that God has a book goes all the way back to what God said to Moses in Exodus 32, 32 and 33. You can go to the next slide and put those verses up. Moses was saying to God, and God was about to wipe out the people of Israel because of their sin, and Moses interceded, and he said, now please forgive their sin, but if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. He was willing to take their place. That's a remarkable statement. But the Lord replied to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Each one must stand on their own. The righteous, the wicked, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. And so here's this idea that God has a book with the names of those who belong to the people of God. And we see that throughout the scripture. We see it, um, Jesus mentions it in Luke 10, 20, when he said to the disciples who were so excited, that should be 10, 20, I guess I got the wrong reference there. <laughs> and um, he said to the apostles who came back from their first kind of preaching assignment, they were so excited, Jesus said to them, you know, do not rejoice in that you saw Satan falling from heaven or in the good things that you saw me doing, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Paul mentions it in Philippians 4.3, the same thing, that your names are written in a book of life. The last mention is in Revelation 21.27, where it says about the new Jerusalem, 
that nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. No one's going to get into heaven except those whose names are written in his book of life. Who are the righteous? They are those who fear the Lord and honor his name. Who are the wicked? It's the opposite. It's those who do not fear the Lord or honor his name. And then notice what God says about the righteous in verse 17 and following. He says, they are mine, says the Lord Almighty, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. Now, you've probably heard this question asked before, but, you know, if your home was on fire, um, besides wanting to get your whole family out, what would be the first thing that you would grab? What is it that you value so much that out of everything else in your home that you would want to grab and take? You know, for a lot of people, it's things like their pictures or it's a certain heirloom or something that's been passed down from family to family maybe that you want to, you want to take and save. And what God is saying is that's what you are to me. You are my treasured possession. You are my jewels. You are what I would rescue first if there was a fire. And he goes on to say that I will spare them. Just as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. I will spare them from the judgment that is coming. In the New Testament, we read about something that is called the rapture of the church when our Lord returns. That there will be a generation of believers who are alive at that time when Jesus returns who will be changed in the twinkling of an eye and will be caught up to meet him in the air. They will not taste death like all who have gone before them. And they will be there with the Lord before he comes to bring his judgment on the earth. You are a treasured possession to God. And you will see the distinction that God makes between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Secondly, he says, remember the day of the Lord is coming. The scripture uses words like it is near or it is at hand. It is coming soon. That day may occur in our lifetime. I mean, we watch the events of what's happening in the world and we don't know exactly when Jesus is gonna step into history. We look at what's going on in the Middle East with Israel and the aligning of nations that seem to fit what the Bible describes in biblical prophecy and we wonder, Lord, is it now that you are going to return? Well, Malachi said, surely that day is coming and it will burn like a furnace. Isaiah Jeremiah, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Zephaniah, Zechariah, all wrote about the day of the Lord, this day, this period in history that is coming. And those prophets spoke in the 9th, in the 8th, the 7th, the 6th, the 5th century B.C., all of them talking about this day. Isaiah in chapter 13 said it is a day of destruction. It will be a cruel day with wrath and fierce anger to make the land desolate and to destroy the sinners within it. It's a day of judgment that's coming. 
Jeremiah 46.10 said, That day belongs to the Lord Almighty. It is a day of vengeance, for vengeance on his foes. God has been long-suffering. God has been patient, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. He wants people to come. We live in this day, this age of grace, when God has been giving the invitation to come and trust in his Son. But there's a day of judgment coming. Joel called it a day of darkness and gloom. The day of the Lord is great. It is dreadful. And who can endure it? Who will stand in that day? The image of fire shows up frequently. And God is going to cleanse the earth by fire in the same way that he cleansed the earth with water in the days of Noah. And just as that worldwide flood was a judgment upon sinners, so will this day that is coming from the Lord, a day when the heavens and the earth will be consumed by fire. And all the arrogant and every evildoer will be like stubble, like a grain field that is left after the harvest, that ripe straw that will burn and come to nothing. Not a root or a branch will be left to them, Malachi says. In other words, that's a way of picturing that out of a tree, it's not just the trunk of the tree, but not a root or a branch will be left. The whole will be destroyed. The wicked will be totally destroyed as God purges the earth. But for those who revere God's name, for those who know the Lord, The righteous will be filled with joy. And you get this this great contrast that is there. Not joy over seeing others perish, but joy that our Lord has come. Joy that our Lord is going to act on his behalf. And the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. The Lord will return and you and I will be made whole. He gives a picture of it here when he says in verse 2 that you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. You can think of those calves that have been kept in their stall or penned up and now they've been released. And what do they do? They kick up their heels. They kick up their legs. They are free, free at last as they are able to run about and dance for joy. Do you long for that day? When our struggle with sin is done and you are free to be the person God created you to be, do you long for that day? Paul writes in Romans 8, 19, that the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. Even nature around us waits for that day when those who know Christ will be made known. A friend of mine was hanging out at a bagel shop one day and he was talking with some friends of his who were not believers yet in Jesus. And he asked them, you know, what's the most important thing that I can pray for you? And the woman was taken back a little bit and she said, well, I guess for our health. And he goes, no, 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 that's not the most important thing I can pray for you. And she goes, what do you mean? And he says, well, you know, sooner or later your health is going to go no matter who prays for you. I mean, one day all of us are going to die. And, and what happens then? 
there must be something more important that I could pray for you. And she was stumped coming out of her background. Well, what could be more important than your health or your family or things like that? And he said, what about your relationship with God? What's going to happen on that day when you stand before him? She said, I never thought about that. And her husband jumped in and he said, you mean God is going to haul us into court or something? (laughs) He had some questions in mind. And my friend said, as a matter of fact, you could say it like that. Because Romans 14, 10 and 11 says, for we will all stand before God's judgment seat. As it is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will confess to God. There is a day coming, whether people believe it or not, when everyone will stand before God to give an account for their life. For the believer, it's not for salvation, but it's really to examine the quality of our life, what we have done for him. It's that day when there is fruit inspection, if you will, to see the fruit of our life and have we used our gifts and our resources in a way that honors him. But for the unbeliever, it'll mean the loss of everything. On that day, they will understand that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And they'll look back on things that they have said or done where they have turned against him. And they will be banished from his presence. It's a sober, sober reminder of what is to come. And that reminder should spur us on in evangelism and prayer to pray for our friends or those who don't know Christ yet that they would come into a relationship with him because it's only by God's mercy that we have. And God wants to use us to be that kind of witness for him, to bring others into a relationship with Christ. But it's also a reminder to use our days well, to honor God in what we say and do, and to live our lives fully for him. And thirdly, God wants us to remember the guides that he has given to us And we see that in verses four to six. Remember the law of my servant Moses, he says. Remember the law, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. One of the significant passages that stands out in the law that Moses gave is found in Deuteronomy 6, verses four and following. Where God said, hear, O Israel, The Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. You are to fear the Lord your God and serve him only. And there it is, this invitation in that Old Testament context to put your trust in God alone, to put him first in your life, to love him with all your heart. And Jesus would say that's the first and greatest commandment. It still applies today. Before the New Testament believer, if this were written in that context, it would say for us that we are to remember the word of God, not just the Old Testament, but the New Testament as well. We're to remember the word of God and apply it to our life. 
And to remember means that we obey it. It's not just to you know, commit something to memory that we think about every now and then, but to remember is to take it to heart and to put it into action. And we see in the New Testament in 2 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4, that his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. How do we fight sin? How do we fight the temptations that come our way? It's by the word of God. How do we know how we are to live in a way that pleases him? It's by the word of God. In fact, Peter is saying here that God has given us everything we need to live a holy life. It's here. It's in this book. Give me that book. It's our guide for life. And secondly, he will say, remember the prophets. He says, I'm going to send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. And we have seen how the Gospels applied these prophecies to John the Baptist who came before Jesus. He was that forerunner. He came in the spirit and power of Elijah. He was not literally Elijah reincarnate. He came in that spirit uh, that Elijah had to prepare the way of the Lord. But there are many who believe that before his second coming, Elijah may be one of those two witnesses that are mentioned in Revelation 11. That before he, before Jesus comes in his second coming, that Elijah will come again to prepare the way of the Lord. His mission, it's to call people to repentance. It's to turn to the Lord and be saved. And it's interesting that the emphasis here is on turning the hearts of fathers to their children and children to their fathers. Or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. It highlights just how important the family is. The family's the building block of society. And is it any wonder that in our day and in days past, Satan has been trying to hammer away at marriage and the family. Because as the family goes, so goes the nation. The relationship of a father to his children is so important because it's intended to reflect the relationship that God our Father has with us. It is to be a loving relationship. There will be discipline and guidance for the purpose of helping us to grow in our relationship with God, to become mature, responsible, disciplined ourselves and so here is this picture that this forerunner is going to come and he's going to call for the spirit of repentance and he's going to call for these strong healthy relationships in marriage and the family but for many in our world today sadly their relationship with their earthly father is either missing or it has been broken and it is hurting And I would say to the men who are here, don't let that happen with your children. You know, sometimes we can get so busy that we neglect what's most important in life. 
many years ago when Robert Schuler was the lead pastor at the Crystal Cathedral. You know, he had this huge ministry there and television and he was so caught up in all of these things that were going on and things had gotten bigger and bigger and millions of dollars in their budget and all the activities and plans that he had. He was a dreamer. But things were hurting in his family relationship. And one day... There came a time in their ministry, and I kind of shake my head even at this, but in the church they had sort of a raffle, like you could pay money or bid money to have lunch with Robert Schuler, and uh, you know, the highest bidder could go out for lunch with him on a certain day, and one day when he looked at who it was that he was supposed to have lunch with that day, he was stunned because he saw the name of his daughter. And she had paid $500 to have lunch with her dad. And he recognized that that was all that she had. $500 to have lunch with her dad. Here was a daughter that was hurting. Here was a daughter that longed to spend some time with her dad. And I think about that, and it breaks my heart. And I think, man, don't let that happen. Your wife, your children, they're your first priority in ministry. To love your wife as Christ loves the church, to love your children, to nurture them, to point them to Christ, to build that relationship, that's where it all begins. And that's why in the New Testament it says that, you know, men, if you're going to be leaders in the church, if you're going to be an elder, you're going to be a deacon, We're going to look at your family because if somebody can't manage their own family, how can they manage the household of God? It all starts at home. So what do we draw from a passage like this? Well, one of the things that many have noticed when they look at the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament is they see that the Old Testament ends with a curse and they see that the New Testament at the end of Revelation ends with a blessing. And they go, see, I knew there was a difference there. I knew there was a reason I like the New Testament. But there's words of grace, and there are commandments in both Testaments. But it does highlight this, that the choices that we make will either lead to a blessing in our life or to a curse, a pronouncement of judgment. The difference in our experience comes down to those choices we make to follow Christ or not. Are we going to follow him as our Savior and Lord? Are we going to give him our best? The choice before us is life or death, a blessing or a curse. So remember the distinction that God makes between the righteous and the wicked. It really does make a difference what you do every day to serve the Lord. And one day we'll see that in heaven. Remember that that day of the Lord is coming and whether it comes in our lifetime or not, there's a day coming when we will stand before Christ to give an account for our life. So be ready. And remember and use the guides that God has given to us. The word of God in the example of those who have gone before us. Prophets, apostles, pastors and teachers, parents, friends, remember those who taught you the word of God and imitate their faith. Let's pray.
Father, as we come before you today, I feel like this is a sober ending to a very serious book. And you know that. And there are messages where that's exactly what we need to hear because you want us to examine our life and to see where we stand before you and to take action where we need to change. But this passage also reminds us that on that day, for those who love you, for those who have honored your name and feared the Lord, it will be a day of joy when you will triumph and all the world will see that. And they will see and understand that Jesus alone is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lord, help us to live for you today. Help us to honor you with our words and with our lives. Help us to put you first. In Jesus' name, amen.